0: Join the Packet Pushers on December 13th for a live stream event on the future of DPUs and infrastructure sponsored by Dell Technologies. We'll talk about how DPUs accelerate workloads, what network engineers need to know about DPUs, operational and business benefits, and more. Sign up now for this free live stream at packetpushers.net slash Getting internet access from low-Earth orbit satellites has great promise for addressing the digital divide, supporting disaster response, and creating new opportunities for communication. If you're curious about how these systems work, as well as the technological and policy implications, download the free white paper, Perspectives on Low-Earth-Orbit Satellite Systems for Internet Access, by the Internet Society. Just go to internetsociety.org slash packetpushers. That's internetsociety.org slash packetpushers.
1: Welcome to Heavy Strategy, the show where we try and ask questions and maybe even discuss some of the answers. We're not here to do the answers for you, but maybe to provoke your own thinking because everybody's situation is slightly different. And so rather than try and say, here's the answers to the question, here's the questions and some ideas about what the answers might be. Today's show, we want to talk about Metaverse. This is the week where facebook just announced its financial results it's basically in a pretty bad shape its shares are down from 70% in over the last year that is at the beginning of this year facebook was roughly around about a trillion dollar company if you remember back to that era yeah. everybody was on facebook all that sort of stuff now mm-hmm. its shares clocking in at about $350 billion. That's still a big company, but that is a lot of money to disappear. Now, more importantly, Facebook's results also seen its income, net income, which is paid to shareholders, has dropped from, uh, I think it was about $10 a share to about $4 a share. So now the shareholders are starting to get up in anger. Why does Facebook matter? And that's, of course, is because they're the leading proponents of the belief that the metaverse matters. And after spending, um,
2: I'm I'm gonna push back on mm-hmm. that, but keep going, Greg. You're on a roll.
1: Go the question here is: Is the metaverse a thing? Is it super hyped? Is it real? Is it imaginary? Will it ever emerge? And given that Facebook spent so much money, refocused its bet its future on it almost, and we have so much hype in the in the wider community, can it actually work? Now, Joni, you you brought this topic up, so I think I'll get you to lead out, and I'll be the cynical one today.
2: Oh wow! You'll be the cynical one today, as opposed to like normally, Craig. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> um, yes, it's a turn of phrase. Um, it's not a real. So the, the first yes, yeah, the, yeah. Well, no, it's the today that yeah. <laughs> that I'm laughing at, not the cynical. The first thing that I would want to highlight is that Metaverse has absolutely nothing to do with Facebook, except that Facebook glommed on to a 30-year-old science fiction term that was coined by, wait for it, Neil Stephenson and his seminal science fiction novel, Snow Crash. So first question everybody gets wrong, who invented metaverse? Oh, 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 Facebook. No, actually, Neil Stevenson. Hmm. Second thing is Facebook and metaverse are still not synonymous today uh, there are a metric ton of vendors that develop working metaverses already from, you know, anyone from Arvisio, Magic Leap, Bre- Brevion, Augment, Stackware, Polygon, Vario, Within, MetaHumans, mm-hmm. um, and bigger companies like Microsoft. So the, the the big point is that what Facebook has done here is named something. And the fact that their shares are down are living proof that naming something is not the same as delivering a working product, a working solution with actual live use cases. Yeah. However, those two things are completely orthogonal. Just because somebody named something and crashed doesn't mean that people that are actually doing the named thing aren't actually successful. And I think think successful is pushing it. But the notion that Neal Stevenson sketched out, remember that the entire Internet was sketched out in uh, 1950s and 60s science fiction. The mechanics of how to make it work were, you know, still lagged by about twenty to thirty years, but the vision of how it would work was quite accurate. Similarly, I think the the vision of how the metaverse is gonna work is quite accurate. But as with all engineering scenarios, the devil's in the details.
1: I'm getting the sense here that you actually think the metaverse is a thing. It's not just a comedy act with clown ears on it. Correct. And it's not but the
2: thing I would say is it's it's not it's not it's a thing the same way the internet is a thing in other words there are lots and lots of moving pieces that sometimes have very very limited relationships to each other but still t- together come and comprise the the internet so for example web browsers just to take a very simple example you know, this has nothing to do with tcpip and routing and all the other stuff the underpinnings but it definitely the existence of browsers made the internet a lot more comprehensible to to normal humans in the very early days mm. so You know, like the companies that invented while the the research organizations like CERN that invented the browser had nothing to do with the people like Cisco that were doing routing. And they never even talked to each other and they didn't care because they didn't have to care. That's how I see the metaverse evolving. And in fact, there are distinct layers to the metaverse um, that I'm happy to touch on, Greg, but I want to give you a little airspace to comment (laughs) if you wish.
0: We're pausing the conversation for a quick word about the future of DPUs and IT infrastructure at the Packet Pusher's Livestream event on December thirteenth, 2022. DPUs, or data processing units, are special purpose hardware that run in servers to accelerate network, security, and storage functions. DPUs are creating new opportunities and challenges for distributed architectures. You can learn about DPUs and their impact on infrastructure and operations at our Livestream event, sponsored by Dell Technologies. The live stream features six technical sessions hosted by the Packet Pushers on topics, including what network engineers need to know about DPUs, how Dell's integrating DPUs into hyper converged infrastructure, such as VxRail, and how VMware's Project Monterey brings a software environment to DPUs so you can run essential virtualization, storage, security, and networking services. Sign up for this free live event taking place via Zoom at packetpushers.net slash We'll see you on December 13th, 2022. And one more time, it's packetpushers.net. /livestream and now back to the podcast
1: i guess the challenge that i'm grappling with with the metaverse in this concept of virtual reality or maybe even augmented reality i'm a big believer that augmented reality will emerge first and virtual reality is very far off into the future no matter how much money you spend on vr technology i think it's decades away but then I, I, yeah. I
2: think you're wrong on both points i think you're wrong on both points augmented reality is here and virtual reality has been here for a
1: while and, Technically, and give, I think go you're ahead. correct, but I think, in practical terms, the willingness of consumers to pick up and run with these technologies—that's decades away, perhaps. So there's a gap. Um, no. I, mm-hmm.
2: I disagree. I, I disagree again. Consumers mm-hmm. have been picking up and running with these technologies for decades. Look at the success of Fortnite. That is virtual reality, and and that's actually always been one of my principles uh, ever since I got into technology games foreshadow what businesses will be doing hmm. so you know the whole notion of people doing stuff in fortnite and if you remember people used to chat in Fort. well they still do they communicate hmm. in fortnite they you know the whole idea of it, even text messaging which is w- what the kids do these days is is and has been obsolete because they're chatting on on fortnite or whatever their game of choice is so that is virtual reality and it's here and it's been here for 20 years or 15 years
1: whatever. yeah i'm not i'm not sure i agree with that i i see that kind of functionality that sort of immersive gaming as environments where the suspension of disbelief can be played out and communication can happen in many forms so uh, uh, people inside Fortnite don't actually communicate in Fortnite. they communicate in other apps like discord or
2: They don't actually. They Mm. communicate in Fortnite. um, Mm. And that's kind of a key point. It's embedded. And that is a a huge point of all of this, that, you know, it's these environments are increasingly um, all consuming, capturing all of your senses. The only thing, you know, the only thing they're missing at the moment is smell and taste and Mm. give it time. Um, and the other thing is i'm I'm going to push you a little on this. I think you're you're engaging in no true Scotsman logic here hmm. because you're basically saying, Well, these immersive immersive gaming isn't virtual reality because I say it's not and I'm like, well, okay, but then I'm just going to push mark twain's comment, which is if you call a dog's tail a leg, how many legs does a dog
1: have? We have been for several decades now been communicating over the phone. many business transactions were done over the phone in a form of, if you want to stretch the metaphor hard enough, you could say that a phone call is virtual reality. Uh, but but, but I'm
2: not because there's no need to because hmm. basically nobody talks over the phone anymore. It's obsolete technology. You know, a handful, hmm. yeah, people people still print out their calendars and look at them. I get it. They also make phone calls, but that's no longer what people are doing. I think the, the common accepted definition of virtual reality is something, you know, a way that you, and I, I'll jump into the, into the, the metaverse model that we've developed in just a second but the the common accepted definition is that you're interacting with other with other entities in a consistent environment interacting in through multiple channels talk, talking seeing getting close to getting far away, killing if you're in an immersive game. Yeah, but there's a component of visual. There's a component of audio. There's a component of out of band communication that's built in mm-hmm. all of that. And oh, by the way, you know that it the representations of reality are credible within the parameters of human imagination so you're so saying yeah. that
1: what the experience that we see in games can be transported to other forms of interpersonal react into uh, communication so that some sort of not shared- just can be but
2: is i yeah. i mean i have i have clients that are actually using um you know now clunky but but everything was clunky the phone was clunky when it was first introduced very clunky sorts of platforms so that when you go for the for the express purpose of work from anywhere so when you go Uh to the office you you when you go to the office it means logging into the app and deciding whether you're going to sit in the lounge area which means come talk to me or in the private area which means I need to get work done uh you can you have various mechanisms for posting uh posting your office hours if somebody wants to come and chat they Mm -hmm. can show up Mm -hmm. their little their little avatar will show up and talk to you All you know it's clunky but functional and you can you can build in workflow and other things so
1: there has to be a suspension of disbelief in that tech i call it suspension of disbelief just to use a common metaphor like when you read a novel or a work of fiction, say a science fiction novel or you know whatever work of fiction, you have to disbelieve that there's a real world. So the characters in the books never poop, they rarely eat, they never struggle with buying groceries unless that's a particular part of the novel, right? And so you have to suspend disbelief that you're getting enough of the story to make it work. My point is Yeah, but I don't that- see why
2: this is hard for you because if you take your example of a phone call... It's like, okay, I've just got a disembodied voice, but I know that's Greg, so Mm. we can transact business over over the phone. Call it, you know, 1920, hello, Greg, would you like to buy five (laughs) shares of petroleum oil? Yes, I would, Jonna. Here
1: you go, you know. There is a counter-argument and one that I am quite fond of, which is we've got a bunch of boomers, and there's a lot of them, and there's there's an increasing chorus from various analysts that we're facing a population collapse. When the boomers start to die off, we're not going to have that many people around. But it's the boomers who want to do face-to-face. It's the 50-plus-year-olds who've spent all life faced, all their lives face-to-facing people who are not used to, you know, abstracted interactions except through phone calls. Like, does your grandma still call you to chat to you? Yeah, probably, because she doesn't like doing text messages. It's that age group who struggle, and they're the ones who need some sort of metaphorical tool to enhance the communication, because they want it to emulate, in you know, sort of a skeuomorphic style, that face-to-face interaction. i don't believe that the younger generation needs that. They find their own ways to communicate using text messages or short video bursts, if that makes sense. But they don't do it all. They do. They do. We need it. Yeah, but I think you're 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 going in exactly the
2: wrong direction with that argument. First of all, first of all, uh, that's a rearview mirror argument. You know, hmm. oh, Orville, it'll never fly. You know, Mm -hmm. that buggy, everybody just needs a horse and buggy. Where are you going to put the horse on that car when Mm -hmm. it fails? You know, forget it. Those, as I I like to say, technology advances, you know, one retirement at a time. The baby boomers are going to leave. And when they've exited stage left, we can all take a sigh of relief and do the fun stuff. Second, you're saying, oh, well, you know, millennials and centennials don't need this kind of interaction. The counter argument is whether they need it or not, that is how that is what's native to them. They're interacting on games. That's what they do. And so your idea that, you know, well, they just send text messages and TikTok videos. No. Mm-hmm. They spend you know gaming has absolutely spiked on the jo- younger generation. Mm-hmm. That's how they interact. Yeah. And so it's going to be perfectly natural to them to come come to the office wherever the office is. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, they may be at a at an Airbnb in Barcelona, but they're they open the laptop or put on the headphones. And begin to interact with each other as if they were in the game. That's what they're going to expect. Because Mm -hmm. I remember this. I remember this from my youth, back in the (laughs) the Pleistocene era. Oh, the youth! Um, The youth! (laughs) My youth! You know, you come to work and you're like, why are these people using these antiquated methods of communicating? What is this SNA of which they speak? You know, why are there VT100 terminals when you, you know, or whatever? It's like there's always a lag between what the the consumers are used to and what businesses are doing. So the notion, coming back to the main point, the notion that the metaverse is real is not false. It's Just because it hasn't been implemented universally in businesses doesn't mean that it's not going to be. And I just want to highlight one thing because I really want to get this in there.
0: Let's pause the conversation for a message from the Internet Society. You can now get Internet access from space thanks to low Earth orbit or LEO satellites and companies such as Starlink and OneWeb. As these systems are being launched, now is the opportunity for all of us to help shape conversations and ensure that these LEO systems help build a bigger, stronger Internet accessible to everyone. These LEO systems have great promise to help address the digital divide and connect the unconnected. So there are big opportunities on the horizon, but also questions. Will these systems be affordable to the people who need them most? Will they have the capacity to support all the people who want access? Will they support the open standards and internet technologies we care about? What policy issues do they raise? How do we ensure competition? What about the environment? The Internet Society, a global nonprofit advocating for an open and trusted internet, dives into these questions in a new paper. Perspectives on LEO Satellite Systems for Internet Access. You can download this paper for free and share it with others by going to internetsociety.org slash pushers. One more time, you can get the paper Perspectives on LEO Satellite Systems for Internet Access at internetsociety.org slash pushers. And now, back to the podcast.
2: It's not it's not an it in in the, sen- in the sense of like, if we can say stop thinking about metaverse equals Facebook and stop thinking about metaverse equals it, you'll be a lot happier. And mm-hmm. the metaverse model that we've developed is similar to the OSI seven layer model for those who come from a networking background. But basically the idea is at the bottom, you've got the platform and framework network component. So that's the component. That is the universe or set of universes, the multiverses in which you can be interacting without... of the content as a key infrastructure piece of that you've got something to ensure transactional integrity whether you're buying something talking to something if i say you know to go back to that example oh i want to buy five shares of standard oil and you say sold that has to be indisputably logged Mm. so that's where your blockchain or multiple Mm. blockchain based solutions kick in then there's the interaction layer where you have things like NFTs, you have things like distributed autonomous organizations, DAOs, digital wallets. In other words, these are the, these are the ways that entities are interacting using in that platform and framework using that set of transactional integrity mechanisms. At the sure. top are the entities, which is what is doing the interacting. And here you have multiple entities. You have digital twins, which are virtual representation of physical reality, avatars, which are virtual representations of humans, bots and AIs, which are virtual representations of virtual intelligence, other forms of virtual reality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. And then on both sides, you have connections to what needs to be connected to. On the left-hand side, you're connecting to the actual users and the systems with the appropriate cryptography, with the appropriate authentication and authorization, identity and access management. You're connecting to the devices, so that you can bring them in to have those digital twins function appropriately. You're connecting to the headsets and displays. Ideally, there's going to be a whole series of mix and match here. It's not like you buy everything from the same vendor. Yeah. And on the back end, and this is where most most uh, metaverse organizations fall down, there's the integration into the existing environment, the enterprise environment, which is databases and data lakes, you know, federating to other organizations, yep. third parties, you know, back end
1: management generally. Would, yep. So let me let me spin around. There's just an idea that just wandered into the back of my head. So I'm gonna spit this out. Uh oh. A while ago we saw Google Glass, and that mm-hmm. would be a version or a or a subset of virtual reality, at least in some sense. And that Well,
2: Google no, Google Glass is a headset full stop.
1: Yeah, it is a headset, but it was only a partial, right? It was more of an augmented reality, throwing some screens yeah, and Yeah, but,
2: but in my model, it's it's literally just one of
1: 850 headsets. But the there was a comprehensive rejection at large for that. Is there something this time around that makes VR... Like, I understand what you're talking about. But I that's like not model VR. Let, let, yeah.
2: Let's let's stop for a second and say that's a headset. That's not VR. But yeah. that said, the main gist of your, your question is actually quite a good one. There are two answers, and I'm not sure which one is right. One answer, which is the one that I've been leaning towards until recently, is no, there's not an underlying reason. It's just that, you know, Google made them look ugly and clunky. If you remember, before the uh, iPod came along, Microsoft had the idea and delivered something called the Zune, which I bought. Mm. Uh, And it was ugly and clunky. And if you wore one on your belt, you looked like a nerd. And then Apple came out with a sleek, prettily colored same damn thing. And everybody Mm -hmm. went with that because sleek, sleek plastics looks looks better than clunky metal. Um, And so in my head, the explanation has been nobody wants to wear really stupid looking glasses. But (laughs) there is research. I, I don't have it right at my fingertips, but there's research shown that one of the absolute the guys at the very beginning of these this the whole headset thing like years ago decades ago mm. discovered that it creates uh, you know prolonged use creates nausea and that it's a fundamental issue with the physics mm. and he's like guys 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 this may not work the headset approach may just never work yeah, i saw some research biology yeah VR headsets are, what,
1: they're not only disorientating people they're actually making them sick
2: yeah nauseated yeah nauseated
1: or worse some people actually reported long-term effects
2: personally my reaction to reading that was a little bit of relief because i have a weird condition i have absolutely no depth perception and i never knew i didn't have it until you know i passed my 40s it means that among other things i've never been able to use those headsets because they're designed with the assumption that i have depth perception which i don't so i'm quite happy if we never end up with uh headsets but headsets are not essential to any of this—that's the main point.
1: So you would say we could do the same thing on flat screens.
2: We could do flat screens. We, we already could do holograms do in games today. We, yeah, exactly. And sure. we can do holograms. There, are, you know, it's just one subset of a category called displays. And right. the display ultimately will be hol- holographic. And in the meantime, we can do flat screens and various flavors of flat screens, and maybe you know, a box full of flat screens doing something that's you know, pseudo holographic. The the sky's the limit on the display. But the idea that display equals virtual reality equals metaverse, and therefore if displays don't work, metaverse is doomed, is a fallacy.
1: I guess what, we, what we're we doing is expanding the concept of of a metaverse or the many metaverses that would exist. There's not just one, there's many. Also the idea that the metaverse is very interconnected. That is your research yep. that you're, you've given me here sort of says VR and the metaverse involves connections to the physical world. Temperature. You well, know, AR does, but AR, yes. But yes. also needs connection to existing information, so to existing internet services, right. databases, uh, banking, third-party security tools, all exactly. that. Exactly.
2: Sort of and and but, the only thing I would say is this isn't. This really isn't redefining the metaverse. It's it's using the original definition that Facebook hijacked. So and and the reason that's important is because is to sort of knock the legs out of the argument you opened with, which is. Well, Facebook's shares tanked, so this metaverse thing can't be happening. Well, yeah, if you assume that that Facebook invented the metaverse, that would be a logical conclusion, but they didn't. They didn't didn't even come close. No, I take your
1: argument. My point would be is that Facebook spent in excess of $10 billion trying to make a version of the metaverse work on top of a platform that has billions of customers, potential customers, and yet who's ever who's ever heard of VisiCalc, and yet we all use Excel? No, I understand, but- this is uh, the amount of money that's been put into this to accelerate the launch of it and yet delivered zero results. Effectively, you know, you can put rounding errors around the existing environments where the metaverse exists, you know. uh, Uh,
2: Yeah. 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 And actually one of our clients was doing a showcase of some of the work that they did in one of the major um, metaverse platforms. And one of the things that made me laugh was right after they did that, some research came out and said, you know, gee, after all the billions ploughed into this the number of active users of your platform is 36 a day yeah. and i can't remember which platform it was, it was but one yes. of the
1: DAOs, a virtual no, world no
2: it wasn't or... a, it wasn't a DAO. it was a virtual world platform mm. but yes um and you know yes that's absolutely true and the only thing i keep remembering is uh you know in that absolutely fantastic clayton christensen book the innovator's dilemma one of the things to keep in mind is that the innovations always are suckier than whatever it is that they're seeking to replace and the you know the example is the Japanese dirt bikes um you know are nothing like a Harley they're not big and, and noisy and fast on freeways they're sort of small put put but they give you the ability to go up and down yeah and that's yeah exactly exactly so
1: I I can accept that and I think that most people would be willing to give any of the current metaverses the benefit of the doubt is what you know, right. I would call it and say, like, yes, we know that the first versions are going to be poor. They're probably going to be low quality. They're going to be low resolution. But at least we can get some insights into the direction. And yet, with whatever it is that the metaverses we have now are, the ones that are most convincing are the electronic gaming, the people who are doing online collective yeah. gaming. But it's very difficult to see them having business value. So, how do you take yeah. the Fortnite experience or the Play a unknown battlefield or whatever you know any of those coll- collective games, massive online type games. How do you take them and translate them into a business context or a social context? How do you have a party in well, a VR? You know, uh, well, actually, I've been to parties in VRs and they're
2: actually better than parties in real life. Um, one of the platforms that I don't think is going to make it, but I love, is called Nowhere. Mm. Um, and Nowhere I love because it's artistically brilliant. Uh, the people that designed it were absolute artists. It is and they have one of their universes is New York City. And it's so realistic as somebody who's lived for a quarter century in New York that when I got to their party, which is at the top of a skyscraper in lower Manhattan with a panoramic view of the Hudson River and the East River, I am not making this up. I was looking on the river to see if I could find myself kayaking on the river. And I forgot completely that I was in virtual reality. And by Mm -hmm. the way, I was sitting at a desk, you know, 300 miles away from Manhattan. It was that real. And the other thing that's cool is they built in a lot of very organic components to it so that you might see a group of people chatting in the distance, you know, in the corner. And you would sort of float over to them and start to hear snippets of their conversation and decide if you wish to join them. Huh. The thing that made it better than a an actual cocktail party was, number one, I've been to dozens and dozens and dozens. I'm not that social, so it's not hundreds and hundreds, but dozens of cocktail parties in New York um and there's always the pain of getting dressed getting there getting the cab there then when you're there you want something to eat you want something to drink but they don't have the kinds of things you like to eat and drink and here you literally the the main reason you go is to chat to the people but you can drink your own stuff it takes it is literally instantaneous to appear Mm. and you know you can zip out and feed the dog which is what i did (laughs) and pop right back into the party and that gets me to the main point which is what is the business case use case driver it's work from anywhere and that ties back to this whole idea where where your cohort of retiring baby boomers is pounding the table and saying the kids must come back into the office and the rest of us are going why no and it's because i won't feel like i have a purpose in life if i can't boss over people in the office and it's like sorry dude not about you anymore and what metaverses do on the human side and there's another use case that's two other use cases, well, other use cases that are already there. But on the human side, it makes meetings and interactions so much richer. It improves the in-person quality. So it puts the end to this whole argument of, well, you see, Jana, we need to have meetings and without <laughs> meetings, our company can't function. Yeah, yeah you can not- have meetings and they're wonderful, better <laughs> in virtual reality. Right now, the problem with meetings is that people are not fully engaged.
1: So my my counter to that argument, at least, and something that I think we're starting to see emerge, is that people are realizing that meetings are not needed to do business, that face-to-face... Oh, I agree. It it is very interesting that once what was thought mandatory, face-to-face meetings and multiples of them, to do a deal has now been reduced maybe to one and increasingly to none. Uh, take for example in the IT space, well, once upon a time you yeah, would have but- had multiple sales reps, multiple pre-sales yeah. engineers. And now what we have is online purchasing with a credit card.
2: And and but tied into that, and this this just backs up my point. Part of the reason is if if you're trying to sell me something, Greg, I say, Do you have it up and running? Sure, it's on Amazon. Go check it out. Here's an account. And mm-hmm. you know, I check it out, but that is all part of the metaverse. It just doesn't come together yet. Right. I I, yeah. I hop online, I test drive it, and I'm like, okay, it works, as said. So I don't need 800,000 of your salespeople coming in telling me it works. I can see it. But let me let me also circle back to because it's important. Uh, there is a real world use case that's in place today, which is digital twinning. Mm-hmm. Uh, manufacturing companies are already using digital twins to speed up their manufacturing manufacturing processes and eliminate errors and mistakes yeah, that's not so new, that's though. happening <laughs> People it's have not been, it's, it's no, they built models of
1: factories and warehouses for hundreds of years it's, right Ever yes since?
2: but it's changed it's mm. changed qualitatively and quantitatively and that is part of the metaverse yes. and you know what is new for example is just the other day i was i uh, yesterday as a matter of fact uh there was a news story that an unnamed country in europe for reasons that it refused to share but one can speculate uh uh, asked a virtual reality metaverse company, "Hey, we need an entire digital twin of our entire geography in three days,"
1: um,
2: and yeah. they did it. Yeah, um, and one can speculate why this might be useful. But that's a,
1: that's just that's, that's a that's a a digital twin for a specific purpose, presumably. Oh yeah, so that is. But now, that's that's
2: always the case. I mean, if yeah. you look at the model, the whole point is the interactions that digital twins are having with with avatars, the interactions that digital twins are having with each other. Those are all the business case. Just like the same internet yeah. can be used to host this podcast, to 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 host TikTok videos. Yeah, and that's the dream of the metaverse data. that yeah. Facebook yeah. wants
1: is that they have, they have digital print, oh, yeah, but, that's twins, not but there's only one, and theirs is the master yeah. copy, and it's used for multiple things, I suppose.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that and that and that is where you know it comes back to my example. You know, IBM had SNA, and everything was top down, and all hmm. networking was managed effectively by IBM and that's lost in the dustbin of history. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know? Well, if it it did a good job of setting up some things and then it fell apart it did. later on, right? So you don't it, it did. I always want to recognize yeah. things that, that there are times when monoliths work. For example, today you could take a take a look at games like Fortnite from Epic Games and say why are these games always just one company? Why do we not have games that have multiple companies involved? Why is it that we have to buy a mainframe type game from a single entity? And-
2: exactly. And in, in my view, that is actually just the natural life cycle of technology. One company says, Oh, I know how to make this work. And they do, like Blackberry or yeah. mainframes. And they do. And everybody goes, That would be really cool if we could take that and expl- explode out the ecosystem. And suddenly you have the internet or the iPhone or, you know, Um, Samsung phones or Google phones or whatever, and things, and you have entire ecosystems with apps that you can put on your phone and somebody specializes in making phone apps. Coming back to the main point, where Facebook is failing is this idea that it's going to own everything because Facebook always gets out ahead of its skis Mm -hmm. and thinks it knows everything about everything because of its founder. But the idea, I think it's done, you can think of it as having done a multi-billion dollar marketing effort, which is good.
1: I guess I struggle with lots of aspects because I do feel one of the things that we learned about remote working is that voice calls mattered, but video calls didn't. We all thought that. We uh, were... I,
2: I completely, mm. I completely disagree with that. First of all, I disagree with the the contention remote working because both you and mm. I have said multiple times remote working isn't a thing. The work is where the people are. Work mm. from anywhere is the
1: That's thing. Right. Yeah.
2: Second thing is um, we are doing this podcast over video. Why? Well, I'm not we looking like at the look video, at but you are. Uh, yeah,
1: oh, um, you are now. It's and besides, sitting in the background. Else, I don't look at it when we're talking. How
2: else? How no. else could I talk about your unusual environment, which I will not give away <laughs> your, your privacy on this one? But, yeah. um, I, and I, I disagree. Actually, what we're doing, what we're realizing, is that the normal, the the prehistoric model of a video call doesn't work very well. If I have to talk to you about some mm. code that we're working on, I really don't need to see your smiling yeah. face. I can agree what we that... do need to both look at what we do need the video for is we both look at the code and you don't our faces aren't yeah. there. So there's but data that sharing.
1: Sometimes yeah. the data being shared is video, sometimes it's a screen share, sometimes it's a PowerPoint, sometimes it's an IDE, an interactive IDE. Um yeah. I think one of the things that we haven't clearly recognized is that sharing code on GitHub so that other people can mm-hmm. look at it using their own tools is a form of collaboration. Sharing Absol- docs absolutely. in Google Docs, sharing docs in And so uh, this is one of the reasons I'm dubious about some form of metaverse because I don't actually think it's, it's not one thing and they're not doing a good job of spelling it out. That it's actually a collection of things, and they're not and telling that, that's, the story that, that's of how why. they bring the existing tools in to encompass those. Does that make sense?
2: Absolutely, and that's why we developed the metaverse model so people mm. can start thinking about it correctly. Because otherwise, um, you know, there's two there's two flawed views. One is, oh my God, the metaverse is 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 the wave of the future, and Facebook is right. Mm. Oh my God, oh my God, invest a trillion dollars now or you'll be lost. And the other end is, ah, eh, it's just hype, and it's look at it, and it comes from Facebook, and they have a track record of sucking, and so. <laughs> It's nothing. And the truth is, in the middle, it is it is a collection of collections that will slowly yeah. coalesce the way the internet
1: did. So what I think, if I can try and summarize where I think we converged on, is that there is going to be some form of more of communication that starts to integrate more things. So we talked about like Google Docs and conference calling and chatting and voice calls and you know access to shared file repositories. And there has to be some tool to start bringing these together, to unify them in some way. I and, wouldn't say
2: tool. I would say mm. series of protocols and standards mm. so that if I feel the need to interact with a virtual, with a digital twin, I can do that. Even yeah. though the digital twin doesn't, you know, I may not have access to the tool to create it or and whatever. And what we don't the, want
1: d- is somebody like Facebook owning all of that. We would much rather right. have a disparate it's, mm. so that there are competitive urges so that some part can it, accelerate it, and, and, it
2: won't happen for the very simple reason that all the people that are doing digital twins laugh at the idea of Facebook having anything to do with it. Like yeah. they're, they're nobody's calling up Facebook and going, hi, I'm developing this super sensitive betting bet the company on, you know, mechanical product. And I'd like to use Facebook.
1: Not yeah, happening. no, I, I don't think anybody I don't think there's sufficient trust in Facebook for them to be in a position to take control of anything too significant. People don't part of Facebook's fall is the lack of trust it has with its. User base, and then with its partners. So where Facebook needs partners to make that work, then right. So right. Facebook's well, version I don't of the metaverse, I, honestly, I don't know them. if
2: Facebook's going to have anything whatsoever to do with the metaverse long term. I think they may have just blown however many billion dollars on popularizing the concept, and then they can go away and lick their wounds. Because let's let's be real facebook doesn't even really exist i mean facebook is a gen x boomer thing mm. and it doesn't even exist in the enterprise it doesn't have an enterprise play unlike say google
1: not for lack um, of trying there's facebook not for, for lack business.
2: of trying yeah. but you know it its contribution to the metaverse may have been giving it a name and getting us focused and that may be the end of it
1: mm. well on that note let's wrap it up here for today we've reached time 30 30 odd minutes of raw dialogue and debate between jonah and myself jonah where can people find you on the internet
2: Please come check out our Metaverse model at namertes.com. Join our online community. Click the button that says I'd like to join the community, and you will get to come in and interact with with Greg and me and and yell at us uh, and give us some FU or, Greg, (laughs) perhaps you can tell them how they can post their FU.
1: Yeah, if you've got any feedback or follow-up that you want to send us as a result of today's show, head on over to packetpushes.net slash FU. There's a little form there. We don't collect any of your personal details. We don't care who you are. You don't have to give us your name. It's just easier if you give us your name and we could say, oh, and Jonathan wrote in and said such and such or whatever, but it doesn't really matter. Send it in and we will make sure that we discuss your points in the next show that publishes. There are many other podcasts in the Packet Pushes Network. Don't hesitate to go and search for them. Uh, check, go on over to the PacketPushes.net website and check it out. See what you can find. As always, thanks very much for listening. And remember, on heavy strategy, the questions are probably better than the answers.